What I want to begin to do right now, we are into the third teaching in this series. And this third teaching, what I'm going to do is contrast three kings. I'm going to contrast Saul, the first king of Israel, with David, the second king of Israel, and then Absalom, who is David's son. And these three kings uh, really were different in many ways, and yet you can learn things by contrasting them. And I want to make four major contrasts between David and Saul and Absalom. You know, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, I've already used this passage, but Samuel told Saul, he says, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And this, of course, is talking about David. David was called a man after God's own heart a couple of different times in Scripture. So what was it that made David different than other people? What made him someone different than Saul? And, of course, as we go through this, you'll see what made him different than Absalom, his son. And I want to point out four main things. I I imagine you could probably point out many more things than this. But just in my study of these things, here's four traits that makes David a man after God's own heart. The first thing is, it's it's an attitude of the heart. Now that's you know, sounds nearly repetitious, but the point I'm trying to get across here is that when you talk about a person after God's own heart, it will be reflected in their actions, but it's not really about your actions. It's about an attitude of the heart. It's about your personal relationship with God. It's a heart attitude. That's how all of this starts. And in our society today, especially our religious world, we put so much emphasis on actions that we often overlook the heart of people. But I'm telling you, if you're going to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, it's not just about doing the right things. It's about being the right person. It is a heart attitude. And again, I know that uh, some people might think, well, that's kind of redundant here if you're saying a man or a woman after God's own heart. But I'm just trying to emphasize that it starts on the inside. A person after God's own heart is something that happens on the inside and it's reflected in their actions. But it's not just a one-to-one relationship to where your actions are a perfect relationship of what you are in the heart. Uh, David is called a man after God's own heart a couple of times, and yet David committed adultery and even murdered to cover up his adultery. Now, I'm going to deal with that in more detail as we get into the next section. And so I'm not saying that, uh, you know, David did everything perfectly, and yet he was still a man after God's own heart. Any of us can mess up. Now, again, I'm not putting my stamp of approval on people living a sloppy life and not serving God. But I am saying that all of us still fall short of the goal. By the grace of God, I've never gone out and committed adultery. I've never murdered anybody. Don't plan on ever doing it. But did you know what? I do make mistakes. And there are times that I do things that are not really what's in my heart. I'm under pressure. Sometimes under pressure, I just make decisions. I lean under my own understanding instead of uh, uh, responding to God the way that I should. There's times that I've let people intimidate me and what I really want to do in my heart, I don't do because of fear of criticism or whatever. 
I know I'll be criticized for even admitting that. I'm doing better at it. I stand fairly strong and do things, but I'm saying I don't do things perfectly. So my point is that you can't just base, uh, you know, whether or not a person is a man or a woman after God's own heart solely on their actions. You have to look beyond their actions. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about that Back in the beginning of our ministry, when we just had a few employees, I had this one guy working for me. I won't give any specifics, but uh, this guy was just quality, quality, quality person. I mean, he laid the foundation for some things in our ministry that we still build on today. And he was just a faithful, quality guy. He'd had a great encounter with the Lord and, you know, was just a quality person. Worked for me for years. But then all of a sudden, it seemed like things changed. I mean, this man, if I paid him for 40 hours, he'd give me 45 or 50 hours. He would just do whatever it took to get the job done. He never griped. He never complained. He was always there. He was faithful. You could depend upon him. And he went through a season where he just began to kind of goof off. He was gone. Nobody could find him. Find out that he was taking a two, three-hour lunch break. He would go and get a haircut during the time that I was paying him to work. And these things were inconsistent with the way that he had acted in the past. And I talked to him about it once. It didn't seem to change anything. And finally, it got to a point to where I was just ready to go in. And I had the right to literally fire this guy because he was not performing up to standard. But as I thought about it, see, I knew this guy's heart. And he was, a, I believe you could say, a man after God's own heart. He had a right heart. He loved God. He loved me. He loved, he was faithful. He had integrity. And his actions were inconsistent with what I knew his heart was. And so rather than going in and just jumping on this guy's case and saying, what you're doing is wrong and I've already warned you, you're out of here, things like this. What I did was approach him on the basis of his heart. And I just told him, I said, you know what? This is not who you are. I've seen you, I've seen your heart reflected in your actions and stuff, and the way you've acted for the last couple of months is inconsistent with who I really know you to be. What's going on in your life? Is there something I can help you with? And this guy never did open up to me. But he, when I had that meeting with him, he, he admitted, he says, you know, you're absolutely right. I have not been treating you right. I've let my personal things get in the way of my... Uh, job here, and he says it'll never happen again, and it didn't. And I mean, this guy worked for me. I don't even remember how long. They finally moved out of town, and you know, I'm I'm reading between the lines here. He said it was some personal thing that he was letting affect his work, and later on, he and his wife wound up getting a divorce. And I'm just supposing, I'm guessing, that he was having problems at home. And in an effort to cope, he just wasn't able to work and focus on this. He was taking longer lunch breaks. He was taking off because it was bothering him. And so anyway, what I'm saying is that his actions were wrong. But you know what? His heart was right. And because of that, I just went in and dealt with this guy on where his heart was. And because of that, his performance just changed and he was never a problem as long as he worked for me. Now, see, I've had other employees that their heart's wrong. And you can go in and you can tell them, now you need to quit doing this, you need to quit sowing strife, you need to quit griping and complaining, you need to quit undermining the authority and questioning the authority. You could go in and deal with them on specifics, but if their heart is wrong, you could get them to submit and to 
you know, conform to a standard. But if their heart is wrong, you're just going to have this same problem crop up over and over again. If it's not in their heart to work and, and to do a great job and to excel in what they're doing, well, then it'll just crop up in some other way and you're going to have to micromanage that person all of the time. Now, see, when I see a person like that, and I might deal with some things, but if, if their heart is wrong, if they just are bitter, if they're carrying a hurt and they're just, you know, something's wrong at a heart level, it's just time for that person to move on and go someplace else because it'll crop up someplace else. And see, most people don't think about this. Most people just deal with people, even yourself, many times on nothing but your actions. And I am not saying that there is a total disconnect between actions and heart. You know, the scripture says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And your life is going the direction of your dominant thoughts in your heart. Your heart will control your life in a general dominant way. But you can make momentary mistakes. You can be forced, coerced uh, through stress, through intimidation, through... Uh, you know, just all kinds of things into making mistakes. And that doesn't mean that your heart was wrong. It means that your head got in the way. You listened to the counsel of other people. You operated in fear. You were intimidated. You didn't give place to the Lord the way you should. There could be a multitude of things. But a man or a woman after God's own heart, it really is a heart matter. And if we could change to where we weren't as focused on actions as we are upon our heart. If we were to establish our heart in grace and to just draw close to God and have an awesome relationship with God, then our actions would change as a byproduct. But see, this is one of the things that I believe about David. He had a relationship with God that, sure, he got off the rails. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba, that was a terrible thing. When he murdered Bathsheba's husband in an attempt to try and cover up what he had done. That was a terrible thing. And some people who only judge based on actions would sit there and say, no way is this a man after God's own heart. And yet that's what the Bible says about him. You know, here's another way of trying to make this point is that uh, according to what's written in Scripture, it never shows Saul as committing adultery. Now he could have, but it wasn't written in Scripture and it certainly wasn't listed as one of the things he did that caused God to reject him. Also, Absalom, David's son, the king who came on the scene afterwards, Absalom is never recorded as committing adultery. It's possible that he did, but again, it's not recorded in Scripture. It's not one of the reasons that God judged Absalom. And so in that sense, Saul and Absalom were actually better in their actions than what David was. And yet, David is the one who is a man after God's own heart. So the point I'm trying to stress through this is that actions are a reflection of what's in, their, in our heart, but anybody can mess up. Anybody under duress, stress, uh, just a multitude of different things can do the wrong thing. But overall, David's heart was right with God. And when he was found in the midst of this sin, he repented, he humbled himself, he accepted responsibility. I'm going to be talking about some of these other things. But David's actions with Bathsheba was a departure from the dominant focus of his life. Overall, David 
was a man who was committed to God, who loved God, who wanted God's approval more than he wanted man's approval, and David had a right heart. If you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, one of the things you've got to do is change your emphasis from just doing everything right, which again, there's a balance to this. I'm not saying that you just go out and and start doing whatever you want to do and quit you know, being aware that your actions are a reflection of what's in your heart. I'm not saying that you just forget actions. Faith without works is dead. You do need to follow through, but you need to recognize that your heart and your personal relationship with God is more important than the things that you do. Now, there's a ditch on both sides of the road, and you could get to where you don't even care about what you do. Just go out and do anything, and it doesn't matter because you've got a right heart. Well, you're deceived because if your heart is right, it will influence your actions. There is a relationship there. You cannot just totally separate these things from each other. But at the same time, you've got to recognize that your heart relationship with God is more important than your actions. The focus has to be on your heart. And I think that there are so many people that get into just a performance thing. They're going through the motions and their performance is right, but their heart is wrong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, chapter 14, chapter 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul is talking about how they should operate. And the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, you know, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13 that is all talking about love. If I have, you know, the gift of tongues, speak with the tongues of men and of angels and don't have charity, God's kind of love, it profits me nothing. If I can prophesy and have all wisdom and all faith and yet don't do it motivated by love, it profits me nothing. In verse 3 he says, And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, that's talking about actions, doing the right things. You sacrifice your life for other people. And yet, if you don't do it motivated by love, it profits you nothing. It might profit other people, your sacrifice, but it's not going to profit you. And so the point that's being made is that doing the right things, operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and doing the right things in love is superior to just doing the right things. It's not saying that, the, that love is superior to the gifts. It's saying that doing, operating in the gifts in love is superior to just operating in the gifts. And so the point I'm making is that it's not just performance. You've got to focus on the heart. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the Lord told the pastor at Ephesus, he says, you've done the right things. You've done all of these things. Your works, and he says, your, your works are, are, you know, the latter works are better than the former works. Everything you're doing is great, but you've left your first love. And I'm telling you, if you are going to try and be a man or a woman after God's own heart, you're going to have to get beyond just doing the right things, being performance-minded, looking at the outcome and thinking that that's it. It's the heart. It's how you get there that counts. It's not just the destination. It's not just attaining the goal. But what is your heart attitude? Man, that is a huge statement right there. I want to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I want to contrast Saul, the king that was before David, the first king of Israel, with David. And Samuel, the prophet, told Saul to go and fight against the Amalekites. 
and to destroy them. Men, women, children, animals, everything. Everything that breathed, kill it all. Now let me just put a little uh, asterisk here, a footnote about this, that that was a different covenant that we live under today. The wrath of God was being released in those days and today the wrath of God was put upon Jesus and we live under a period of grace and mercy and it's God is not going to lead anybody to go out and kill all the men the women the children and the animals but in those days the wrath of God that was the covenant they were under plus you've got to remember in those days you couldn't be born again and once a person became demon possessed it was like a cancer or something it couldn't be treated. You couldn't be cured. You just had to cut it off. You had to amputate a part of the body or cut out that cancer and do things like this. Well, in the Old Testament, people could not be delivered of these demons. And if I was to take time, I could go into extra-biblical uh, you know, resources, records, and show you that the people... Here the Amalekites, these people were into bestiality. They were having sex with animals. They were into homosexuality. They were into adultery, all types of fornication. These people were just totally given over to the devil. And even though it looks really harsh, it was justice and it was actually mercy from God's perspective on the human race as a whole to cut out this cancer where these people had just given themselves over to Satan. And, and it was judgment and it was mercy on the rest of the human race to remove them. So Samuel gave... Saul these um, instructions to go kill everything, men, women, children, and the animals. And uh, so Samuel, after Saul was coming back from this uh, battle, it says that um, in verse 9, this is 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag, that was the king, of the Amalekites, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandment. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Saul was a guy who when Samuel got on his case and made him do something, he would repent, he would follow Saul's, uh, Samuel's instructions, but he never did it with a perfect heart. He would always change something. He was always making mistakes. And I made this point that you can take a person who may, you know, through intimidation, through fear of firing them, punishing them or whatever, you may get people to conform in their actions but their heart's always going to be wrong. And if that happens, you're better off to just fire that person from the very start because you're always going to have problems out of them. On the other hand, you can take a person with a good heart, who's got integrity, who's faithful, who is doing their best, and under pressure, they can make a mistake and get off track. But you can go talk to that person and say, this isn't really you. And they will get back on track because their heart is right. I would rather, I deal with a person based on where I believe their heart is more than I do based on their performance. And so we talked about all that yesterday. And you can see that with Saul. Saul went and did what Samuel told him to do to a degree. And of course, Saul maintains that he 
totally fulfill what God told him to do. But see, his heart was wrong. He was always going to do something. He was always going to change it. He was always leaning unto his own understanding instead of just totally doing what God told him to do. His heart was wrong. His actions were right sometimes, but his heart was always wrong. And because of it, it repented God that he had made him king. And so it says in verse 12, And when Samuel rose early uh, to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. See, Saul was looking at performance, and he thought he had done good enough, but his heart was wrong. He had deviated. He had leaned unto his own understanding. But in his way of thinking, he was close enough. Man, that wasn't acceptable with God. In the next verse, Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They... Now notice, uh, I'm going to get into this in more detail but Saul would not accept responsibility for his own actions. Saul was the king. And if these people deviated and did something contrary to what Samuel had instructed Saul to do, it was actually Saul that was responsible. He could have controlled the people. He was king. He was dictator. But notice when Samuel said, well, then you didn't fulfill God's will because here's all of these animals. I can hear them. They're still alive. You did not do what God told you to do. Well, then Sam, Saul said, they have brought them. He didn't accept responsibility. He placed it off on the people. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. In other words, you know, after they won a battle, they always made a sacrifice to God and they offered sacrifices of thanksgiving. And rather than take animals from their own flock, which would have depleted their resources, instead they took some of these animals that God had instructed them to kill and they were going to offer them as sacrifices. In other words, it was a sacrifice that didn't cost them anything. You know, David was just totally different than that. There was an instance in the latter part of David's reign where he went and numbered the people, sinned against God. A plague came upon the people, and I forget the exact figure, but I think it was in excess of 70,000 people died because of David's disobedience. And there was an angel with a sword in his hand that was getting ready to attack Jerusalem and kill people because of David's disobedience. And the Lord opened up David's eyes and he was actually able to see this angel standing there with the sword in his hand. And so he went to, the, it was in a place called the threshing floor of Ornan or in Chronicles or one of those places. He's also called Anan or something. Anyway, there was a threshing floor of a man. And when David saw it, he went to the man who owned this threshing floor and he said, please sell me your threshing floor and your oxen so that I can offer a sacrifice and implore the Lord uh, for mercy that He wouldn't judge the people in Jerusalem. And the man who owned that says, No, I'll just give it to you. He says, You're the king. I'll give you all of this stuff. And David made this statement. He says, I will not offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. In other words, he was wanting to make a sacrifice and this man was willing to give his oxen the yoke for the wood and everything 
And he was going to, you know, give this to David. And David said, I'm not going to make an offering to God if it doesn't cost me anything. These people, see, were wanting to make an offering out of the animals that were already, uh, you know, marked for total destruction. And they wanted to offer the Amalekites uh, animals as an offering so that it wouldn't cost them anything. Totally different attitude. This is one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart. But but Saul right here, see, he says, it's the people who did all of these things. And Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And there's a great lesson in that. I'm just going to mention, I'm not going to stay on this, but this is so important that when people are humble and little in their own sight, God promotes them. It says over in 1 Peter chapter 5 that God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. When you're small, God exalts you and promotes you, but then people begin to start thinking, look what I have done instead of giving the glory to God. And Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The moment you get in to start taking credit for what God has gifted you with and you get into pride, I guarantee you, you are headed for a fall. And this is exactly what happened to Saul right here. When he was little in his own eyes, God made him head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed the king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But then in verse 21, he says, But the people took of the spoil. Again, see, he's not accepting responsibility. Sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Man, there's a lot in those verses. I could preach on this for a long time. But the point I was wanting to make is that, see, Saul would not accept responsibility for his own mistakes. Now, the people may have come to him and they may have said, well, let's save these animals and sacrifice them instead of our own. But nonetheless, Saul was the one that the buck stopped with him. It was his decision. He should have accepted responsibility. I don't care if somebody else came up with the idea. He was the one that was in the position of authority and leadership, and he had to accept responsibility, but he didn't do it. Now, in contrast to this, when David sinned with Bathsheba, And when he killed Bathsheba's husband, you can read his prayer of repentance over in Psalms chapter 51. And I'm not going to take time to read the whole thing, but let me just point out a couple of verses. In Psalms chapter 51, verse 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before thee. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned 
and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. You know what David is doing? He's accepting responsibility. He said, God against you and you only have I sinned. Now that's not to say that he was ignorant of the fact that he had done Bathsheba wrong, that he had killed Uriah, that he had affected all of their relatives, and the child that was born to him in Bathsheba died because of David's sin. And so, you know, in one sense, you could say David hurt a lot of people and his sin was against Bathsheba, Uriah, against the child, against Ahithophel, and on and on you could go. But David here was emphasizing that, God, I'm the only one that bears responsibility. He didn't blame Bathsheba. He didn't say, well, that woman was washing herself out in the open. It's her fault. She seduced me. You don't understand. I just was in a weak point and he begins to start blaming, you know, the pressures of being king. And he didn't justify anything. He says, I am wrong. It's my fault. I bear responsibility. In contrast to that, look at this king, Saul, who's saying it's the people who made me do it. It's the people who coerced me. He refused to accept responsibility. That is one of the traits that I believe made David a man after God's own heart is he didn't blame somebody else. Now you can also contrast this with Absalom, David's son. And I'm not going to take time to turn over there. I'll just summarize this. You can go look it up on your own. But Absalom wound up getting mad at his brother Amnon who raped his sister Tamar. And because of this, Absalom plotted and killed Amnon. And when this happened, he fled for his life. He was afraid of what David, his father, would do. And for three years, he lived in a foreign land. And he married while he was there. Finally, uh, David allowed him to come back. But when he came back for two years, David didn't even see him face to face. He just sent him to his house and he gave him amnesty. But he certainly didn't just establish the relationship. And because of this, Absalom became bitter. And Absalom began to plot treason against his father. And over a period of years, he turned the people's hearts away and eventually became an adversary, ran David out of the city of Jerusalem. He had to flee for his life. And Absalom proclaimed himself to be king and brought tens of thousands of people against his father, David, and tried to kill him. It turned out that David won the battle and David retained his rulership over the nation of Israel. But all of this happened because Absalom, see, again, blamed everybody else. Instead of recognizing it was his actions of killing his brother that caused all of this problem, he got mad at his father. And you know, David may not have responded and done everything correctly. I mean, this is a tough situation when you have one of your sons kill another son do you just act like nothing happened? I'm not sure exactly how the right way to respond was. David may not have done it perfectly, but nonetheless, Absalom became bitter at David, thinking it's David's fault. David is the one that should have dealt with Amnon. He should have done this. I had to do what he did. And then when David didn't allow Absalom to come to him for two years, he became bitter over this. And you know, in the New Testament, it says, beware that no root of bitterness springs up and it defiles you and many be defiled by it. You've got to be careful and guard against this. And he became bitter and justified his treason thinking that if my father was the person he was supposed to have been, uh, then I wouldn't have had to do this. And so anyway, he, he wouldn't accept responsibility. Both Saul 
and Absalom blamed other people for the way their life had gone. But David, when he sinned, he said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this great wickedness. I tell you, this is a trait of a godly man or woman that I think is really in scarce supply today. You find a lot of people in the public eye who did something wrong. They get caught in sexual sin. They get caught stealing money. They get caught doing something. And they will repent, so they say, so that it looks like they say, oh, I'm so sorry. But I I can tell you one of the ways that you can tell if it's true repentance. If it's true repentance, if their heart is really after God, they'll be like David. And they will accept total responsibility. They won't say, well, it's that woman that you gave me. They won't say, well, she tempted me or whatever. They will accept responsibility. They'll be like the prodigal son in Luke, the 15th chapter, that when he finally came to himself, he says, I'm going to go to my father and say that I'm not even worthy to be your son. He, he didn't go and blame his father and say, you shouldn't have given me my inheritance. You shouldn't have let me do this. You drove me from home. No, he didn't do any of this. He says, I'm guilty. I'm not worthy, but I need help. Would you please make me like a hired servant? Now, see, that's a repentant attitude. But when somebody says they repent and then they talk about, well, the church, you know, they're shooting, they're wounded, and they shouldn't have treated me this way. Maybe I'm wrong, but they shouldn't have done this. I can guarantee you that person is not truly repented. This is big. Accepting responsibility for your own mistakes is one of the traits that makes a person a man or a woman after God's own heart. In our generation right now, this is probably one of the dominant characteristics of our society today, not only in the United States, but I mean around the world, people are not accepting responsibility for their own problems. They're saying it's their dysfunctional family that made them the way they are. It's the color of their skin. It's their lack of education. It's the government. If the government would treat me better, then I'd do better. And they excuse their actions. I'm telling you, that is an ungodly trait. It is absolutely ungodly to blame other people for the mess that you're in. I'm telling you, if you are going to be a godly person, you're going to have to own up to it. You're going to have to step up to the plate. You're going to have to sit there and say, you know what, I don't care what problems I've had. I don't care what pressure. It was my choice to become bitter instead of better. It was my choice to go this direction. And you're going to have to quit blaming other people. As long as you see yourself as a victim, and I can't help it because I was mistreated and I had this happen, you'll never be a victor. You can't be a victim and a victor at the same time. The first step to becoming victorious and overcoming the problems and the things that are in your life is to quit blaming somebody else. Because if somebody else is responsible for you being the way you are, well, then you can't change until that somebody else changes. And I'm telling you, that is bondage. You do not have control over other people. As long as it's society that has treated you wrong and made you the way you are, you aren't going to change society. The only person that you have 100% absolute control over is yourself. And let me rephrase that. Most people don't even control themselves, but that's the only one you have authority over to change. And as long as you empower other people and say, well, this person, as long as people treat me wrong, I can't help but be bitter and angry and have a temper. Nope, it's not what people do to you from the outside that makes you angry. It's what's on the inside of you that causes you to respond to it. Jesus was hanging on the cross. Jesus was being spit on. 
blindfolded, slapped, humiliated, insulted, all kinds of things. And he turned around and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I can guarantee you, you can act different than what other people are doing. Nobody can make me mad without my consent and cooperation. I have to choose to do that. And this is one of the things I believe that made David a man after God's own heart. He accepted responsibility for his own actions. He didn't blame Bathsheba and say, she shouldn't have enticed me. She should have been in a private place. She should have covered herself. She shouldn't have responded. Well, you don't understand the pressures of being king. It drove me to doing this and on and on. He could have blamed anybody and everybody else, but he said against you and you only have I sinned. And he accepted 100% responsibility for the mistake that he had made and all of the consequences that it started in his family, in his own son, and on and on and on it goes. And I'm telling you, that is a godly trait. That is a person after God's own heart. Going back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, after Samuel had said that, you know, your rebellion is as witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And he says, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. Look at uh, Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See, right here again is this same thing I'm talking about. He wouldn't accept total responsibility. He says, all right, I'm wrong, but I'm wrong because the people made me do this. I'm telling you that is an ungodly trait for you to blame somebody else. Am I denying the fact that other people hurt you, that you have been treated wrong? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that you aren't an animal. You aren't an evolved animal that just responds to stimuli. And whatever happens, you have to yelp. You have to respond. You are a human being created in the image of God. You have God Almighty living on the inside of you if you've truly been born again. And you have the capability to act beyond just what happens out here. You aren't just chemicals that respond to stimuli. You have a spirit on the inside of you and you can rise above things. You can forgive people that have done things wrong to you. Matter of fact, we're commanded to forgive people that have done things wrong to us. If we do good only to people who do good to us, we don't have any reward from the Lord. But when we're treated evil and we do good, now that's a godly thing and that's a person after God's own heart. You know, the Lord said to His disciples in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, these three chapters were written, uh, they're words that Jesus spoke the night before He was crucified. And He started off in John chapter 14, verse 1, by saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. They were about to see Jesus crucified. They were about to see Him be arrested, humiliated, beaten, mocked, scourged, crucified, die, and he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Did you know that today's modern day philosophy would say, that's impossible, you can't do that. Yes, you can. You can choose to forgive. You can choose to control your emotions. God would be unjust to command us to do it if we didn't have the ability to do it. The second verse says, you believe in God, believe also in me. That's the way you do it is by faith. Don't go by how you feel, but go by what you know you're supposed to do. You know, I just had a woman this last week. She was 
going through some hard things and I was sitting there saying, I understand and it's not bad that you feel this way because you've been treated badly, but you don't have to stay there. You can still walk in love. You can choose to forgive. And it's like a light dawned. And she says, so you aren't saying that it's wrong to have these feelings. You're just saying that it's wrong to indulge them and to live in them and that I need to rise above it, draw on the power of God. And I said, yes. And she says, well, other people have said that you even told one woman who had a miscarriage at six months that she wasn't supposed to let that bother her and that she was wrong if she had any negative feelings. And she says, that's not what you said. And I said, no, that's not what I said. Now, I said, I've never told anybody that you're sinful or wrong to have negative emotions and to be hurt when somebody does something to you. God made us for relationship, for fellowship with Him. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, many other passages of Scripture. Something's wrong with you if you lack rejection, if you lack problems. I'm not saying it's wrong to have negative feelings or negative emotions, but I am saying it's wrong to let those negative feelings and emotions paralyze you, dominate you, and control you. You are, you are a person created in the image of God. And if you've been born again, you now have the supernatural power of God on the inside of you that can allow you to rise above those things. I am not denying that I have negative feelings and emotions, but I am denying that those things are going to dominate and control me. And see, that's what Jesus was telling his disciples the night before his crucifixion. Don't let your heart be troubled. It's up to you. You can control it. You do not have to fall apart like a $2 suitcase when bad things happen to you. And he goes on to end that discourse in John chapter 16, verse 33. And he says, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In that one verse, he makes it very clear, you are going to have bad things happen. There is going to be tribulation come, but you do not have to be overwhelmed with it. You do not have to live in grief and sorrow. You can be of good cheer regardless of what your circumstances are. And so see, again, I got off on all of this by saying that Saul said, but the reason I did this, the people made me do it, and he would not accept responsibility. Likewise today, people are refusing to accept responsibility for your own actions, saying it's your genes, it's your upbringing, it's your environment, it's this, it's that, and people will not accept responsibility for their own actions. And that keeps you from being a man or a woman after God's own heart. If you're going to truly be godly, the first thing you're going to have to do is to sit there and say, I may have had other people pressure me. I may have had this happen. Maybe you didn't have that happen, but I have. You can acknowledge that those things exist, but I'm the one who let it get to me. I'm the one who became bitter instead of better. It's my fault. I accept responsibility. Nobody else is controlling my life but me. And I'm telling you, until you come to that place, you aren't a man or a woman after God's own heart. You need to quit blaming other people. Sure, other people are a factor. Satan might have used them to come at you. Things happen. I'm not denying that bad things happen, but I am saying you can overcome them and you have to quit blaming other people. See, this is exactly what Saul did, but I feared the people. They made me do it. And that is a terrible, terrible trait. So we've talked about two traits so far. First of all, you've got to have a personal relationship that affects your heart. You've got to have a heart for God. Not just 
performance, not just conform to rules, but in your heart, lusting and doing other things and not really committed. It's, it's your personal relationship. It's your first love. On the heart level, you got to be committed to God. Then the second thing is you got to start accepting responsibility and quit blaming other people. As long as you let other people be the reason why you are such a jerk, then that means that you are never going to change because you can't change those other people. You know, the next thing I want to point out is that a person after God's own heart is only out to please God. You are not a man pleaser. You can see that again right here with Saul. Saul said this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold, this is talking about Saul, laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Now get a picture of this. Here's Saul, the man who had been anointed by God. God placed him in leadership because of his rebellion and disobedience at God. Samuel had just prophesied it's over. God has rejected you. Your dynasty is not going to continue. Your son Jonathan will not become the next king. Your whole future is destroyed. God has rejected you. And he had just pronounced this terrible judgment upon Saul, and yet Saul said, But now turn again and honor me in front of the people. Come offer a sacrifice so that I'll still look good, that the people will follow me, that the people will accept me. You know what Saul was doing? Saul was saying, Even though God's rejected me, I don't care so much about God and whether He accepts me or rejects me, but please don't let the people see that God has rejected me. Let me look good in the eyes of the people. He was more concerned about people than he was about what God thought. He was a man pleaser. You know, it says over in Proverbs chapter 29, I forget the exact verse, it's around verse 25, I think it says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. If you are a man pleaser, if you are constantly worried about what people think about you, I can guarantee you, you are not going to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. In John chapter 5 verse 44, I tell you what, let me turn over here and read this because I'm not sure I could quote all of it exactly the way it should be. And this is a powerful, powerful verse. So John chapter 5 and verse 44. Jesus said, How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? What a powerful statement. He's, here's another way of saying this. If you are seeking the honor that comes from men, if you have to get men's approval, you cannot believe. If you are going to be influenced by what people have to say, you are not 
going to be a faith person. You are not going to be able to overcome. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And on and on we could go with scriptures about faith. You are not going to be able to believe God if you are constantly worried about people. And I tell you again, this is in epidemic proportions in our society. People are so afraid that they are going to offend somebody. You know, we've got this thing that we call political correctness today where you can't say a person is fat. You've got to say that they're weight challenged, that they are short, that they're vertically challenged. You've got to position things and say it in a way that you don't offend anybody. People are just operating in fear. Fear of men is the opposite of faith in God. Now, I don't believe that anybody ought to go around just seeking to offend people. That's not a godly trait either. But I'm telling you, Jesus said things. He, he said some things and His disciples came to Him and He says, Master, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? And He says, man, if they aren't planted by God, they are going to be offended. He says, you know, they're the blind leading the blind. They're both going to fall into the ditch. He says, what's the chaff to the wheat? Forget them. I spoke the truth and He didn't back down. In uh, John chapter 6, Jesus was talking about, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. And the people thought he was thinking of cannibalism. They were offended and they just said, how could this man give us his flesh to eat? Did you know if he was a modern day preacher, he would have fallen all over himself, apologizing and trying to straighten out. Oh, I'm not talking about cannibalism. I'm using this symbolically that you've got to take me into your life. You've got to make me your life, your sustenance. You've got to live by me. He would have fallen all over himself trying to apologize if he was a modern day preacher. But you know what he did? He just turned around and he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you. He just reinforced it and made it harder. And over 5,000 people, get a picture of this, 5,000 people left him because they thought he was speaking of cannibalism. And he didn't turn around to his disciples and says, Guys, it's unfair. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat a worm. You know, that's a little song I used to sing when I was a little kid. We used to sing that. He wasn't sitting here talking about everybody leaving. He turned around to his disciples and he says, There's the door. Will you also leave? And Peter finally spoke up and he says, Well, we don't have anywhere else to go. In other words, if they had somewhere else to go, if they hadn't burned all their bridges behind them, maybe they would have left too. It was a hard saying. And yet Jesus didn't try and appease everybody. I'm not saying that we should go out of our way to offend people. But I am saying that, you know what, the truth is not loved and embraced by people today. They want to believe a lie. And if you are going to speak the truth, I guarantee you, you're going to offend people. And if you are a people pleaser, you cannot believe God. If you are seeking the honor that comes from men and not the honor that comes from God alone, it's a snare when you have to have everybody be pleased with you. I'm telling you, it doesn't work that way. You are going to have people criticize you. I've got hundreds, maybe thousands of blogs written against me and terrible things said about me. And you know what? It doesn't keep me up at night. You have to get to a place to where you are a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. Now you can see in Saul right here that he had just lost the kingdom. He had lost the favor of God. God was going to have nothing else to do with him. 
if he was a man after God's own heart and if relationship with God was first and foremost in his life, that would have been the end right there. That would have just totally devastated him. But instead, he was saying, well, oh, you know, so be it. Let that be. But, oh, please honor me in the sight of the people. Turn with me and, and offer a sacrifice so that the people will still honor me. I'm telling you, that is absolutely wrong, misplaced priorities. And yet this is where most people live today. They are more concerned about pleasing men than they are about pleasing God. There are some of you right now that you have values and things that God has taught you and you know that they're right. The Holy Spirit bears witness. You have no doubt about it. And yet you wouldn't stand up for those principles. You wouldn't stand up and say that homosexuality is wrong. Now again, I'm not talking about being mean to homosexuals. That's a sin just like any other sin. I'm not talking about hating them and doing bad things. But you know what? If you truly love people, you'd tell them the truth. Homosexuality is destructive. Adultery is destructive. Lying and, and stealing are wrong. They not only hurt you, they hurt other people. And there are many of you that know the truth, but you won't stand up and speak the truth because you have to have the acceptance of everybody. You have to be accepted. And I'm telling you, you are not a God-pleaser. You're a man-pleaser. And you cannot believe would seek the honor that comes from men and not the honor that comes from God alone. This is one of the things about David that just made him different than other people. You know, I'm going to go ahead and start telling this story. I'll have to look and... Um, find the exact instance. I think it's in 2 Samuel chapter 16. But David, when his son Absalom rebelled at him, he came out against him and actually David had to flee from Jerusalem uh, to save his life. It must be first, 2 Samuel chapter 15. And uh, let me read this to you. 2 Samuel chapter 15. As David was fleeing Jerusalem with a lot of his people and stuff because Absalom was coming with all of the armies and if he would have stayed there, Absalom would have killed him. It says in verse 23, And all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron and all the people passed over towards the way of the wilderness and to Zadok also and all of the Levites who were with him and to Zadok also and all the Levites uh, were with him bearing the ark of the covenant of God and they set down the ark of God and Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. And the king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and his habitation. But if he say thus, I have no delight in thee, behold, here I am. Let him do to me as seemeth good unto him. And the king also said unto Zadok the priest, Art now th not thou a seer? And he told him to go back and be a spy. But the reason I wanted to read these verses is to show you that see, most people are so into being accepted with people, taking care of themselves, putting themselves first, and having the praise and the affection of people, that they would do anything to gain it. The Ark of the Covenant was like the symbol of God being with them. 
There was a special presence of God and anointing on the Ark of the Covenant. There are instances that when the Ark entered into the camp during a battle that the people yelled so loud that the earth literally rent. There was an earthquake or something that caused the earth to open up. The shouts of the people were so loud. I mean, this Ark of the Covenant was a big deal. And yet David is saying, you take the Ark back to its place. And if God is pleased with me, he will bring me back to the ark. But if he's displeased with me, if his uh, dealings with me are over, if he wants Absalom now to be the king and rule, you know, here I am. Let God do to me what he wants to do. You know, to me, that is just awesome. That is an attitude that not very many people have. And this is one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart. And that was that he was sitting there, he was out to please God and whatever pleased God, whatever God's will was for him, that was what he wanted. And it didn't matter if it was rejection by the people. He didn't have to have the people's approval. He wanted to please God. He wanted to do what was pleasing to God and not what was popular in the eyes of the people. And if this meant going against everybody else, if it meant his rejection, he was fine with it. He had a heart for God. He, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. I'm telling you, if you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, you're going to have to, first of all, put the priority on this personal relationship, a heart relationship with God. You're going to have to start accepting responsibility when you mess up. Quit blaming somebody else, making yourself the victim. But you also have to just uh, keep your attitude to where it's all about God. You're a God pleaser and not a man pleaser. And I'm telling you, if you lose sight of that, then uh, you aren't going to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. It's all got to be about God. You know, I'm going to say some things here that are subjective. Many of you are going to say, I don't believe that, but it's my testimony and I'm sticking with it. I was recently at a conference and these speakers, real good friends of mine, were talking about that God told them to take their ministry and turn it over to another person and that he wanted them to go on another assignment. And it was actually Happy Caldwell, a good friend of mine, and he was talking about how God led him to take his church in Little Rock and turn it over to somebody else and move to the next phase, which is to start building up his television network and make it a major network in the United States. And he was talking about this. And as he discussed it, you know, it was just amazing that he has spent, I don't even remember the exact number of years, but it's over 20 years building up this church, all of their facilities, millions of dollars worth of assets, uh, he's poured his life into these people. Not only the people there, but their children and their children's children. And, you know, he and Jeannie have just put their life into this and God told them to walk away, give it to somebody else, and basically start over again. And it was a great teaching about how God gave him grace and he was just talking about these things. And it affected people. The next speaker that got up changed his whole message to go along with it because it was... Powerful, and God used it. But anyway, as Happy was sharing all of these kind of things, I was sitting there thinking, God, you know, we have... I've been in the ministry now for 46 years. we fought tooth and toenail. God is now blessing us. We have a television broadcast that spans the world. We're making an impact. It's touching people. 
God has not only given us this facility right here in Colorado Springs, but we've built a new Bible campus up in Woodland Park that's worth tens of millions of dollars. And I was just thinking about all that God has done and all that God has given me, and I had the question come to me about, could I give this over to somebody? Could I just walk away from it after spending 46 years doing these things? And you know what? I can truthfully tell you without any reservation that yes, if I felt like that's what God told me to do, I could walk away from this. I could start over again tomorrow. And I really believe that. And there's some people that can't do that because they are just so insecure. They have to have things. They have to have the approval of people. They, they like the crowds. They like all of this stuff. But I'm telling you, this is my testimony, and I'm sticking with it, that the most important thing in my life is pleasing God. And if I really felt that God was leading me in another direction and wanted me to do something else, I could walk away from this ministry, from the Bible college, from all of the assets, the tangible things that God has given me, and I could be happy starting all over and doing it all again. And some of you say, oh, that's easy for you to say, but you couldn't do it. I, I believe that with all of my heart, and I believe that this is one of the traits that makes a man or a woman, a man after God's own heart, is whether you are a God-pleaser or whether you have to please men, you have to have all of these other things to you know, make you feel like you have worth and value. If you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, you've got to be a person that is a God-pleaser and not a man-pleaser. To where pleasing God is what it's all about, your relationship with God. And if that takes you to the darkest corner of Africa, and if you know that's where God puts you, you'll be happy. That's a man or a woman after God's own heart. And I don't find many people like that. There's a lot of people that when they have no other option, they will seek God and trust God because that's the only way they can ever see themselves prospering. But if you begin to prosper and if you had all of these things, would you still be as God-dependent? Would you still be seeking to please God only or do you just use God to get you what you want? And that's a big question right there. You need to answer that question. And you need to be able to say in all sincerity that, God, I'd walk away from everything. God, I'd give up whatever position you put me in. I would take whatever recognition I've got, whatever financial security, whatever, anything. I want you more than I want anything that you can produce. And if you can't say that, then you need to repent of that. And you need to start making this decision that, God, I want to have a heart after you. I want to be like David that says, you know, if God's pleased with me, He'll give me these things. He'll return me unto it. But if not, well, then let Him do with me whatever. If He would rather that Absalom rule than me, that's fine with me. I just want God. I want what God's got for me. Man, that is a tremendous heart. And that's a heart that a lot of people watching this program don't have. But you can. What God did for David, we can, we can have this worked in us. But it's not going to happen without you pursuing it. It's not going to happen automatically. It doesn't happen by default. You have to believe God for this. You have to commit yourself to God. Spend time in His presence seeking Him. But God wants to work this attitude in you that was in David. And that is a powerful, powerful statement. And the last thing that I want to say about David is that he had a cause that was bigger than him. Now this is something that makes a person 
after God's own heart. You could say this in different ways. You could say that you aren't just self-promoting, self-seeking and doing only what is good for you, but you have God in mind and what God's purpose is for your life. You're literally willing to sacrifice your own self-interest and sacrifice your life in order to be able to accomplish God's will for you. Now, there's not a lot of people that are willing to do that. You know, in the Bible, you see in the New Testament, lots of the early apostles that literally were, were um, martyred for their faith. And they had a cause that was bigger than them. They laid their life down. I think that that is a, a person with a heart for God. That's a man or a woman with, uh, after God's own heart. Jesus did this exact same thing. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God the Father so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. John three sixteen. God literally gave up His best for us. Jesus gave up His life for us. It's a godly trait. To have a heart after God, you have to be a person that loves God and other people more than you love yourself. And I tell you, there's not a lot of people that can say that. I don't think any of us ever get to where we are just pure in this area because, you know what, selfishness is just, it seems like it's like gravity. It's always pulling on you. There's always self-interest uh, that is just weighing on us. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can apply that greater law of thrust and lift, and even though gravity still exists, you know, a plane flies, even though selfishness may still be a tendency, you can overcome it. You can lay your life down and esteem other people better than yourselves, is what the Lord told us to do in Philippians chapter 2. And we can get to where we actually honor other people and lay our life down. Jesus said, no greater love hath any man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And we can lay our life down for other people, but it's not normal. This is something that you have to seek and pursue and you have to desire. It. And you need some cause that's bigger than you. Let me go back to a passage of Scripture that I've already used. When David was fighting Goliath, you know, he began to start speaking, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And his brother Eliab came against him and began to criticize him and say, who have you left these few sheep with? And, you know, you've come down here. I know the naughtiness and the pride of your heart. And he just began to dump on David. I already talked about this, but this reflects his jealousy is what I believe it was. I believe that the root of all contention is pride. Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride comes contention. It may not look that way to you on the surface, but if you peel back the layers, the bottom line is its contention is all caused by pride or selfishness, self-centeredness. And it's just people that are coming against you because of what you're saying or doing makes them uncomfortable. It's all self-centered. They're only thinking about themselves. And so Eliab, it was his selfishness. But nonetheless, when he came out, instead of David getting off the track, running into the grandstands and arguing with the spectators, he just says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? In other words, he had something that was bigger than himself. He didn't have time to argue with Eliab. He had something that was bigger than himself. If he would have been arguing with his brother and trying to justify himself and reconcile and keep the family happy and do all of these things, he never would have gotten out there to fight with Goliath 
and have accomplished this. And I'm telling you, one of the things I think that made David a man after God's own heart, he expressed it right here. He says, isn't there, is there not a cause? Isn't there something bigger than just you and me, you know, having a sibling quarrel here and trying to get this together? Man, there's some things that are worth just, you know, you've got to turn away from people. Instead of getting down to their level and griping and complaining and seeking their approval, this goes back to the previous thing I was talking about where you're a man-pleaser instead of a God-pleaser. Instead of trying to get everybody to like you, there's things more important than that. You know, I get a lot of criticism directed my way, and I don't like criticism. I would like for everybody to like me, but I've come to grips with it that it's not going to happen. Jesus said, Beware when all men speak well of you, for so spake they of the false prophets which were before you. Second Timothy three, twelve says, All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I've come to the realization that if I never bump into the devil, it's because we're both headed in the same direction. But you turn around and start swimming upstream, there's going to be some resistance. So I've come to the realization that it's going to happen. But you know what? I don't like it. But there is something bigger than just me being popular and people liking me and everybody liking what I've got to say. There is a cause. God has given me a purpose in my life that is to share the truth. And the truth will set people free. And in the process of sharing the truth, not only are there going to be people that receive it and get set free, but there's also going to be people that fight back. I've had a lot of bad things said about me and done to me and stuff. I've been kidnapped, threatened to be killed, all for the gospel's sake. I've had a lot of things happen. But you know what? They're just something bigger than me. If, if I was only out to please myself, if it was all about me, there are other ways I could make a living. There are things, especially in the beginning days of this ministry, there's lots of things I could have done that would have produced more income with less problem and less criticism. But see, God has called me. There's an anointing on my life. God has given me a goal of doing some things, sharing the truth with people that's going to make a difference. And there's something bigger than me. I tell you, that is awesome to have something bigger than yourself and self-reputation to live for. I've got people right now who've said terrible things about me, but you know what? I've just let it go. I recognize that you can't please everybody. I've got a purpose. I've gone on with my life. And you know what? If I was to see these people today, I could hug them. I could love them. It's not a problem. If, you are, if it's not all about you, you can let these things go. Some of you that are just so incapacitated, I mean you're handicapped because of the way people have treated you. The reason is because you are so focused on yourself. You know, I remember when I was back in the denominational church, we used to sing these songs, you know, about going out and count your many blessings, name them one by one. And part of that song is you go out and help somebody else see how bad their situation is and you start feeling better about your own. Many of you could just come out of the funk that you're in, the depression and the discouragement, if you were to quit thinking only about yourself and go out and help somebody else who's less fortunate than you. I heard a story once about a man who was complaining about his feet hurting until he saw somebody come by that didn't have any feet. And all of a sudden he realized, you know what, it's not so bad to have your feet hurting. You go find somebody else that's struggling and you begin, you get a cause, a purpose for your life that is beyond yourself and you start thinking about other people and it shrinks your problems right down into a very manageable size. 
And I'm telling you, you need to have a cause, a purpose for your life that is bigger than you. And what you need to do is get some purpose beyond yourself. It's not just all about you. So what if you got a problem? Other people have problems. Go out and help somebody solve their problem. You know, if nothing else, it says in Luke 6, 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. And so if you've got a problem, go help somebody else with a problem. And as you give, the giving that you do is going to come back unto you. God will help meet your need. If you have a financial need, go help somebody else with their finances. Maybe you don't have enough finances to solve your problem. If what you have isn't enough for your need, then turn it into a seed and go plant it in somebody else. It may not solve your problem, but maybe somebody else with a lesser problem. You could go give somebody enough money to get them a food or a warm place to stay or something, and you could help them. And as you sow into their life, it'll come back unto you. If you find somebody else who's heartbroken and something bad has happened, go help them. And as you give unto them, it'll come back unto you. The best way to get your needs met are to help meet the needs of other people. You give and you'll, God will take the little that you were able to give and multiply it back to you and you'll reap back a hundredfold. You go help one person, a hundred people will come help you. If your heart's pure in this and if you aren't doing it to try and manipulate and you know, just like a slot machine, you just do something and now God, you got to come through with a hundred people. If you will do it with a pure heart, and go give to other people. I guarantee you, it'll come back to you in this life 100-fold. That's what it says in Mark chapter 10. And so you've got to have something beyond yourself. David had a call on his life. He was called to be king. And because of it, David put up with hardship. He turned the other cheek. He let things happen. When his brother criticized him, he, instead of arguing and defending himself, he says, is there not a cause? And you know, a scripture that I used from 2 Samuel chapter 15 as David was leaving the city of Jerusalem as his son, Absalom, was coming in. And Absalom was coming in with all of these soldiers and if David would have stayed, he would have been killed. They brought the ark out, which was a symbol of God's presence and God's blessing and anointing. It was a powerful thing. And yet David said, take the ark back to its place. And if God is pleased with me, he will return me to Jerusalem and to the ark. But if he's through with me, well, then let him be through with me. In other words, all I want is what God wants. He had something bigger than himself. He actually wanted the best for the kingdom. You know, I don't say this with any malice, but I do believe it's a correct evaluation that a lot of people in our government today who get elected, they may start out with a pure motive and run on this thing that I'm going to get in and I'm going to change things and I'm going to make government responsible to the people and they, they have all of these great things. But then they get in there and they start getting all of this acclaim and they get so worried about am I going to be reelected that they start compromising and they don't stand for the things that they said they would and they just become weak, just like the people we voted for them to replace. And you know why? Because they don't have anything that's bigger than themselves. It's all about themselves. It's all about getting reelected. It's all about their security. It's all about their legacy. Most people don't have a cause that's bigger than themselves. There's nothing more important than them just living comfortably and having a great retirement. I'm telling you that that's wrong. That keeps you from being a person after God's own heart. David is a person 
that had something bigger than himself to live for. And it was, first of all, his personal relationship with God. But then second, he was called to be king and he did what was best for the nation. He put himself through adversity. He suffered things. When he made mistakes, he took the criticism. He didn't blame other people, but he had something that was bigger than himself. And it's really expressed over there in Second Samuel chapter 15 when he says, you know, take the ark back. Do what's best for the people. And if God's through with me, if it's Absalom's turn, well, then let Absalom have it. But he was, he was wanting God's will more than his own will. Man, that's huge. And I'm telling you, this is one of the very things that Satan uses to gain access to us. I believe that Adam and Eve's original sin was pride, selfishness. They thought that God had held something back from them. You can read that in Genesis chapter 3, that He was keeping them from doing something. And so they wanted to exalt themselves rather than submit themselves to God. And that same sin is just continuing on today. Every sin that a person commits is because they somehow or another are going to exalt themselves. They are going to promote themselves. They're going to do what they think at the moment is best for themselves. Of course, if they were truly objective, they would recognize that all sin is destroying yourself. God, the way that He told us to stay with one woman for a life, that's not because He's trying to hurt us or reject us. That's because that was His best. And yet we think we know better. And so we go pick and choose and have extramarital affairs and do things. And I guarantee you that's really not in your self-interest. It's destroying you. God knows what's best. He told us what's the right way to conduct ourselves in marriage, in business, in integrity, in just all kinds of areas. But it's selfishness. People thinking that, no, God's restricting me. I'm missing out on some pleasure. I guarantee you that's... Sin is not pleasurable. There is pleasure in sin for a season, but the end of it is just total death. If you look at the whole thing, it is not worth it. Sin is stupid. You shouldn't be doing it. So anyway, I'm just trying to get across it. If you want to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, you need to have these qualities that David had. And that is that his heart was committed to God. He had a personal relationship with God. And when his actions got out of line with God, he was able to go back and rekindle that love in his heart, return to his first love. That is one of the first things. He accepted responsibility for his own actions. When he messed up, he didn't blame anybody the way Absalom and the way Saul did. He said, against you and you only have I sinned. He also was a God pleaser instead of a man pleaser. His whole focus was on what God wanted for him. And then lastly... He was a person that had a cause, a purpose for his life that was bigger and more important than himself. He exalted God and what God wanted him to accomplish as being more important than his own personal safety and promotion. I tell you, if you would take those things and begin to start cultivating that in your life, and if David did this without the Holy Spirit and the new birth that we have today, I guarantee you, then we can do it. This is God's will for us, is to become a man or a woman after God's own heart.